everyone. You're listening to Malvern Radio. My name is Matt West, and tonight I'm joined by the one and only Big Fat Drunk. How's it going tonight? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It is different. It is a bit different. So maybe we should give a little background on this one. Yeah, so uh, I've put this in the past few posts that we've done the podcast for the, you know, the week pr- preview and also last week's show too. And kind of what happens at SB Nation is putting all their podcasts into you know, one conglomerate rather than have them have a separate podcast for Battle Red Blog. We had nothing at all to do with. I decided to say, yeah, we can go ahead and join up as well too. And so we're doing the show. We're recording the show differently. Nothing's to blog talk at all anymore. Uh, we're looking at say, doing the show to record it live if people are interested in. And that's where that whole sort of part of it as well too. But the idea is that it's going to be recorded. There is going to be you know, two advertisements in it. I think four, which is the same as before, except now we actually have the control when they're placed in there and that sort of thing, which will make it better. The audio quality is going to be better. And uh, I think the show is just going to be better in general too, not using blog talk at all anymore. But the the live thing we can maybe work out with if you know people miss it enough, but so far it's been cricket. So we'll see how it goes in the future though. But yeah, things are a little bit different. They're better, but uh, they're different. Yeah, and we can also do video. So if you guys have anything that you guys want us to do on video, like you guys can see me, you know, putting Vaseline on my nipples and that sort of thing, I'm happy to do that. I know there's a fetish for that. So just, <laughs> just let us know. As long as you keep your socks on, I'm for it. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to have some sort of, you got you to gotta have some pride, man. Yeah, no, as long as the feet are out of the picture, uh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> well, BFD, did you know that it's good to score touchdowns instead of field goals in the red zone? <laughs> I tell you what, I had so much fun Sunday night because I, I like to do Facebook during the games because the other fans pick up on it and they get so upset because I'm just so mean to their team. And Patriots fans are easily the worst. And Cowboy fans are kind of a close second. They weren't really active Sunday night. That, that gave me a sad. It was only a few people. But the Patriots fans really get, get giant sads about it. And so I was trolling them all night. And so one of the comments I made is that Jason Garrett must have, wa- must have watched a lot of tape on the Texans because he was, he was kicking field goal for field goal with us for a while there. So he knew how to beat us by out kicking, you know, the number of field goals we got. So, you know, it's when you go back and you look at the Texans and you look at the offense and you see the things like, I think the Texans have, what is it, 13 field goals this year and nine touchdowns. I'm, let's make sure I'm right. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but it's something like that. It's just, you know, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, we kick field goals. We do not score touchdowns and the ratio is horrible. Big Matt. Yeah. And at least they're getting into the red zone now, unlike the previous three weeks where they couldn't even do that. And I'm just so like super glad even after the last week as well too, that they're finally going back to running that super cool offense with utilizing Watson's a runner. They're actually running play action. They're using the jet sweeps again. Uh, it's not just run the ball off the middle twice and then try to convert out third down from the shotgun formation anymore. And so it's improvement. You know, they're not scoring touchdowns in the red zone at all, but at least they're getting to the red zone often enough. And, you know, like in the red zone, I think the biggest problem right now is that they don't have a really great offensive line. So it's super hard for them to run short yardage. And they don't have a great running back at all who can make guys miss and, you know, actually see the holes available to them. They're open make the linebackers miss or they're shoulder at the extra hard yard. And so it turns into a lot of like ineffective running and then Watson holding on the ball forever and not doing anything with it. And I think that also goes back to O'Brien not being very good at scheming guys open. And so in this game, they outgained Dallas 462 yards to 292. They only scored 19 points. Uh, they only, they kicked three field goals only scored one touchdown goal to goal situations. And in goal to goal situations, Watson was two for eight for nine yards. And the one touchdown I threw was a quick toss to Kiki Cutie Pie. That also, you know, that counts, that little loop, you know, on the jet sweep. And the previous week, though, against Indy, they scored three touchdowns on five red zone trips whenever they went up in that game 28-10. Um, so what else are you seeing from Houston's red zone offense, aside from what I am with the offensive line just not being that good, the running game not being that good, and Bill Bryan just not being very good at scheming guys open? Why don't we call it, call it the shovel pass anymore? I, I just don't get it. That's the shovel pass. That's what that is called. Anyway, 
it's, I mean, I think it's, it's just the really obvious things. And I, one of the things I keep going back to is that the offensive line, look, I, I'd rather have the five guys we've got on the offensive line in 2018 than the five guys we had in 2017. I'm going to still keep beating that. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Julian Davenport played the right position this game. Kendall Lamb did not because he was on the field. <clears throat> so you got to, um, I think you still have to put Rankin out there. But also let's look at it this way. Rankin was hurt almost all the preseason. He didn't get many live snaps. So you mm-hmm. got to give him a little bit of a pass. But you got to start working him in because clearly he's a better player than Kendall Lamb. At least I think he has the potential to be. So what do I see? You can't run the ball very well down in the red zone because you don't have guys who are working together as a unit yet. And then, you know, if, if Lamar Miller isn't in there, our number two back, because our depth is so freaking poor, our number two back is Alfred Blue. And you, Alfred Blue is not an NFL caliber running back. I'm sorry. So it's – you were kind of stuck against the rock in a hard place, and you have to ask Deshaun Watson to do things. But look, look at the play to, to Cutie. That was a pretty decent play call. And you watch the, like, the Saints game last night, and you see the way that they are able to execute near and out the goal line. Look, this is a lot just sorry play calling by Bill O'Brien, Big Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that Houston really failed to take advantage of in goal line situations was the speed of Vandesh. Like he was having to cover – he couldn't cover Ryan Griffin. And whenever you have situations where he's having to run from the middle of the field to the sideline, that was a big matchup they could take advantage of. And even Jalen Smith isn't – as fast as you probably would think he would be. And that, and so even if you get Smith out there instead, I still think it's a matchup that, you know, Cutie cannot run to as well. So, or even probably out for blue, but, uh, you know, like your tight end can get open in Shalen Smith. And also in that game too, you know, Ron Griffin dropped two of those touchdown passes. And so maybe we're having a different conversation. If Griffin catches, you know, either one of them or both of them or whatever, uh, he was able to get open against Van Nesh, but again, he can't block and, you know, if he's out there dropping touchdown passes, there's even less reason for him to be out there as well, too. But, yeah, I mean, I think O'Brien just needs to, like, go out there and watch what other teams are doing. I think the Saints are a great team to watch. Atlanta's been great in the red zone. Uh, watching what Carolina does to Cam Newton as a runner in the red zone. There's a bunch of different teams that they can go back and emulate instead of just run, run up the middle and then shotgun pass and have Watson hold on to the ball forever and not find anybody and then try to run for and get his brain splattered, you know. Yeah, this was like Concussion Fest 2018, this game for, for Deshaun Watson. And, you know, the fact that they were having to use a stethoscope to make sure that he's still alive on the bench was just which is terrifying. You know, this is not the way to use this guy. I don't care if he's coming off the ACL surgery or not. This is not a big guy. This is not a guy you want to take a lot of hits. You don't want any of your quarterbacks to take hits. When we talk about running the ball on the podcast, we talk about intelligent running the ball and then getting down and sliding. We're mm-hmm. not talking about trying to get through three guys at the two-yard line. <laughs> yeah. And I've never seen a stethoscope at all used on the sideline before. Uh, that was you know, super strange, just making sure, like, I don't know, his heart still worked or, like, his, his ribs still worked. I don't know, but it, that was super weird. Yeah, no, it, and it's disconcerting. That's your, that's your franchise quarterback, and, you know, you know, here, here's a little trivia for y'all is, is uh, back in the, was it the 79 playoffs, 78 playoffs? I can't remember. It was uh, Dan Pastorini got hurt and broke a couple of ribs. He took a shot. And so it was Dan Pastorini who brought in the days and age of the flak jacket being worn in a football game. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, that Deshaun Watson is clearly heading that direction. And with the news today that Deshaun Watson is now day to day and, the thing that really caught me off guard was uh, sports books aren't taking uh, some of them aren't taking bets on the Bills uh, Texans game this week because maybe the whole thing with Deshaun Watson's worse than we know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I don't, they really haven't elaborate on it all. They usually say he's day to day with a chest injury, and I listened to uh, that uh, Bill Simmons podcast where they guessed the lines. The line opened at eight. I don't know if they're going to do anything else with it. All I know, Seth Pay on Twitter, you mentioned that the line's been crazy. And nobody really knows at all what to do with it because nobody knows if Watson's going to play for sure. Uh, I still think he should. I know I saw on Twitter Sean Pentagrass said, you know, they should just sit Watson for Jacksonville next week. But Houston's not in the position to, uh, to, to kind of even potentially lose any game, even if they could play like a, um, a mosh best with Buffalo next week. You know, the defense is good enough to be able to stop the run against them, but they don't really have that luxury being two and three. In addition to that, like Buffalo can play pretty good defense 
And if you play a close game, who knows what's going to happen. They were able to muck it up with Tennessee pretty good last weekend. The same thing could happen, you know, the weekend after as well too. So Lane Watson's healthy at all he has to play, but I think you probably have to limit his ability as a runner and kind of not call as many plays as you were calling against Dallas that the previous week. Yeah, and I guess the big question is too is, is how many of those were called from the bench and how many of those were um, um, – audibled into and how many of those did Deshaun Watson just decide, Hey, I'm just going to keep this thing and go, you know, and go for it. So we don't know exactly what was called in a lot of cases, but here's what I know is I don't want him carrying the ball like that ever again, period. Yeah. Yeah. Cause those were kind of like self-inflicted, both those like three hits that you kind of think of from this game. They were Watson scrambling and try and you know, being the cowboy and going for it, just getting smashed. And so Hopefully in that situation in the future where, like, he's running like that and he sees three guys coming at the goal line. If it's not, you know, the, the NFL playoffs, uh, just kind of throw that ball away. There's no need to. And also defense, defenses are afraid to hit quarterbacks too right now. There's a great example of like Kansas City Jacksonville game where Mahomes rolls right and nobody's coming up to really hit him. And he just kind of stands over the sideline and he walks out bounds like, very calmly. And nobody hits him at all because they're afraid of the penalty on third and nine. And seeing if you're Watson, like, you can run into the last possible second. They're probably not going to hit you. And so hopefully he kind of takes this as a learning lesson for the future where, you know, unless it's uh, for the AFC South Championship or, you know, the wild card round or whatever, now, you know, week, week four against Dallas isn't the time to, you know, put your entire, like, body on the line like that. Yeah, no, let's wait until the Super Bowl, shall we? <laughs> well, the AFC South Championship is more important than the Super Bowl, though. <laughs> Don't forget that. So I, I know earlier you just mentioned that you know Jason Garrett must have watched a lot of film on O'Brien, and it was really kind of a, a beautiful game to watch. Just watching these two super geniuses, you know, battle <laughs> out against each other, and just the amount of intellect, you know, waging on the field of battle was uh, superb. And there was you know questionable decisions made by both coaches that was expected. Uh, my friend, when we were talking about the game, I said that both are gonna use all their challenges, but I felt like O'Brien was going to blow his timeouts. And it kind of happened, except the timeouts ended up biting O'Brien in the end, but they both made some really dumb challenges. And then, uh, you know, O'Brien challenged like a four, like an eight-yard pass on, you know, second and ten that didn't matter. Garrett challenged the interception. that challenged the catch. That was an obvious incompletion that didn't matter as well, too. And, you know, Garrett, he had the ball on uh, in overtime at – they had third and one and fourth and one at Houston's 42, 540 remaining, and they punted and they didn't go for it. And the previous week, you know, Frank Reich went for it in an even more difficult situation. They lost because in this game, Garrett, you know, ends up being safe and punting it, and they kind of lost for that as well too. So uh, I got two questions for you, BFD. Yeah, both these coaches are dumb. Which one do you think was dumber in this game? And also, if you were Dallas, would you have gone for in that situation? It's really hard. That the Bill O'Brien challenge for the two yards was utterly ridiculous. I don't care if you win that or not. That is just an utterly ridiculous challenge. And you don't even want to take the risk of losing a timeout if you lose that challenge. It it was dumbfounding to me. I don't think I've ever seen a more futile challenge in the NFL. (laughs) And Jason Garrett's wasn't any better. So (laughs) it it was truly a coaching battle of dumb and dumber. I have to give it because it was Jason Garrett waste of timeouts and choosing to punt the ball. They're going that super conservative route. Neither both of these coaches coached to lose the game, not to even tie, much less win. They coached to lose the game. Which one of us can do something worse to put our team in a worse position to win? Yeah. And and um, since okay, so I'll, I'll hit it when we get later on. There's there's another point I want to make about Bill O'Brien tonight, but uh, it, it was. It was like watching. It was like watching two kittens fight to the death, and it was just pathetic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I really hate the O'Brien challenge. Not really because like it was the first half, and so like they probably could use that timeout later on. But mainly just because of the waste of time it was. You know, you're not really getting a whole lot of out of it, and you're only wasting everybody's lives. You know, I, I didn't go to bed till eleven thirty. Maybe he doesn't make that challenge to go to bed eleven twenty. You know. And I feel a little bit better the rest of the week. And then also, like, if you – at that point, the, your biggest reward is, you know, eight yards. If you lose, you lose a timeout. And that really came back to bottom last week before against Indianapolis. But it didn't uh, uh, matter at all to begin with. 
you know, for Dallas in the situation, I looked at the, you know, the win probability calculator and there's about a 4% difference if they went for it on fourth and one compared to if they punted it. Uh, and so like, I mean, I think if you're the, I think the difference is, is that in that situation with the best rushing attack in football, like that's something that you kind of have to go out and get. Like that's kind of like your identity there that you can go out and get one yard whenever you want because you have Ezekiel Elliott and you have this great offensive line. And then punting that kind of dissuades it. And then also, like, your defense is super tough from rushing the pass. You're not able to get a pass rush. DeAndre Hopkins started to open up, and he ends up having this, you know, tornado uh, pass reception that they set up for an easy field goal for, and they lost. So, I mean, I think one way or the other, it wasn't the worst decision in the world that I would have gone for if I was, you know, Garrett in that situation, especially being at Houston's 42 and uh, and it just being a yard, it's not like Indy was six yards at their own, you know, f- uh, 46 or whatever it was that time. I think the difference in the yardage, you may be more inclined to think that you should go for in that situation than uh, what Frank Reich did the week before. But the results are still the same. Houston kind of uh, skated out another one possession win after losing their first three to start the year off. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because the, the every game this year has been one possession, and we won the last two on field goals in overtime. Mm-hmm. It's it's we play the the Houston Texans play to tie. They do not play to win, and it is so frustrating to watch. And so we don't go for the jugular. We start kind of backing up. And you know, you saw a couple of games over the weekend where that happened, and it went it went wrong. Uh, uh, Rivera and Carolina against the Giants that almost turned against them when he went a little bit more conservative. He was he didn't go O'Brien conservative, but he went more conservative for Rivera. So you see games where, you know, the guys back off the pedal. You have to take risk to succeed. You just have to. And to see Bill O'Brien consistently, you know, say that this salt and pepper makes this too spicy for me is just really <laughs> utterly ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's kind of weird how the season's gone. They were 0-3 one-position games, and now they're 2-3, you know, and 3, and it kind of just shows the luck with it because – Houston, like coaching wise, they're not doing a whole lot. They're calling a better offensive game plan. They're calling a better defensive game plan. It shouldn't take in three weeks for them to play like this for. But like as far as in-game decisions go and that sort of thing, they haven't improved for the better at all. Houston's just gotten, you know, luckier and these things kind of tend to balance themselves out either within the same season or, or over the course of two years. And for Houston, it's already kind of happened. I think that's kind of the biggest difference, you know, aside from the strategy, why they're, you know, two and three compared to, you know, oh and three right now. Right, and one other way to look at Jason Garrett and the fourth down decision, and when the Houston Texans have to make that fourth down decision, is look who the Dallas Cowboys are throwing out at their skill positions. It's uh, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and a bunch of guys who are just playing football for like the first or second year in their career. Mm-hmm. The Houston Texans are putting out their Deshaun Watson, Lamar Miller when healthy, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Kiki Cutie, even in the second game, he's the best wide receiver on the Dallas Cowboy roster, for crikey's sake. You know, we put a different level of talent out there on the field. And it's just like the Dallas Cowboys game was an, a perfect example of playing down to your opponent's talent. And mm-hmm. it's, that's what makes it frustrating. So if you're Jason Garrett and you're fourth and, and one in that situation, I think you have to go for it because you've got the offensive line, you've got Ezekiel Elliott. You ain't going to throw the ball. Who are you going to throw the ball to? Rico Gathers? So <laughs> you have to, I think you have to go for it there. But just in the broader picture thing, we talk about it's all about context. If you're Frank Reich, why are you doing that when you've got your literally your, the tight end you called up off the practice squad that week and three wide receivers who shouldn't even really be starting? Mm-hmm. So it's all about context. And the, we, when we throw out DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and Kiki Cutie, we have a lot more talent than the last two teams that we've played at those positions. Yeah. And that was what I was going to add to you about, you know, this two and three starts so far this year is that Houston is too talented to be in the situations that they're in. Uh, they shouldn't be going to overtime against Dallas. They shouldn't have gone in overtime against Indianapolis. They shouldn't have lost the giants at all. They shouldn't have lost to Blaine Gabber in week two, uh, you know, losing to the Patriots, you know, they should have played better than what they played. But, like, they're never going to beat the Patriots. just one of those things that's never going to happen. But they should probably be, you know, like 4-1 and one right now. And the fact that they're 2-3 and, three and like, win to an 0-3 hole is pretty inexcusable. And 
you know, and the biggest reason why is just like O'Brien just reverted back to his old ways with his play calling. Ramil Cornell was just doing things that didn't work, even though he's done all these things that worked before. And now he's finally doing it in the defense. The pass rush has improved enough that the secondary can, you know, skate by at least a little bit. And also playing, you know, the Dallas Cowboys helps. Playing the Colts without any, you know, wide receiver or any skill position talent after T.Y. Hilton gets hurt uh, helps as well too. But, you know, this team is a lot more talented than the teams that they've lost to, a lot more talented than the teams that they've, you know, barely beat in overtime. And, uh, like, even though the record's different right now, and the results are a little bit different, and like the on-field performance a little bit different. It's still like a really poorly coached coach team, and it's super frustrating to watch because it seems like they're limited, and they should have won these games by you know two touchdowns at minimal. Instead, they're going through like an entire gauntlet and a and you know a big slobber knocker to kind of come out just even beat two and three, and you know it's just kind of just like unacceptable in a lot of ways. The slobber knocker. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and you know what? You know what's so much better? The delay is like not as bad because we yeah. have all a second delay. It's not nearly as bad. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like having a real conversation. Yeah, uh, and, yeah and the last thing I want to say about Brian too before we start talking about the offense specifically is I was thinking about like now that Houston's two and three, uh, what the best case scenario would be for them. You know, not even as a Texans fan, but I guess just like in general, and I also like about I guess it's not necessarily as a Texans fan perspective, but thinking at, at the outlook of the present right now and this season, also the future. And I really think the best thing that could happen is Houston you know, wins a wild card or somehow wins the division. They make the playoffs. They win one playoff game, maybe two, and then they lose in the second round. It's like New England because that's always going to happen. And they fire Bill O'Brien. They pretty much pull Mike Malarkey and say, yeah, even though the results are that you, know, you made the playoffs for whatever, we're not doing this anymore. We can't do this anymore. You know, you're, even though you've won games, that you're holding this team back. And, uh, and it's the performance isn't there, you know. And so I really think that's kind of the best possible way the season can go on is that, one, we get, like, wins and fun games to watch, and we get to watch a, a playoff game, you know. But at the same time, like, the future's not going to be mitigated because O'Brien was able to, you know, rally his troops and do what he should have done all along and win a bunch of close games and get this team in the playoffs you know, miraculously. You, you totally took the words from my mouth. This, Bill O'Brien needs to be malarkeyed. <laughs> We need to get that in the dictionary somehow. Yeah. Make malarkey uh, a verb. And we also had a question here from Steve L on Twitter. And so BFD, are the Texans winning in spite of their head coach or because of him right now? No, they're winning in spite of him right now. Look, you can't talk enough. Just look at the two rosters from from Sunday's game. You know, (laughs) one of them has a really, really good player. There's a couple of black holes of talent, a couple of positions. But if you just look, you know, Dallas is – 15th in uh, defensive DVOA, Houston's 10th. And it's it's pretty similar if you look at the offensive DVOA, and that's through week five, because I've been just absolutely checking the football outsider sites religiously for about the past hour or so. So, um, you know, if you look at them on paper, okay, Houston's 23rd offensive, Dallas 26th offensive. If you look at them on paper, there's – a tremendous difference between these teams, which means one team is really underperforming and one team's playing like it should. And all I'm asking is for the Houston Texans to play like they should be. They should be playing a lot better. And I'm going to break what I, what I said earlier. I'm going to talk about Bill O'Brien right now. Like yeah. most of the major argument about retaining Bill O'Brien during this off season, instead of going and finding another coach is that with, with Deshaun Watson and Bill O'Brien and that marriage, we were all going to get freaking unicorns. Everybody, every Houston Texas fan was getting a dadgum unicorn. Not only did we get a unicorn, we we're going to get a unicorn that crap brisket and peed good beer. And we're getting 20 points a game from that duo offensively right now. 14, I'm giving 14 points to the, to the defense. Look, the whole argument was that, oh, we're going to score 33 points a game like they did last year, or even if you include the, the uh, ESFs game. That's not happening. We're two touchdowns short of that right now. We're a miserable offense. We're not scoring. We're not being successful in the red zone where you have to be as an NFL offense. Look, I was promised a unicorn. I'm ready for my unicorn to be delivered, Big Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, and so I guess that's all I really have to say kind of like as far as big picture stuff and 
I guess, kind of in-game decisions about this game, and we can move on and talk about the offense and defense uh, specifically. Uh, we'll be right back after just one second. All right, and we're back. So in this game, Houston ran 75 offensive plays. And on those plays, Deshaun Watson threw 44 pass attempts. He had 10 rushes. And so he counted, uh, he counted for 72% of the offense. On his pass attempts, he had 33 completions on 44 attempts for 375 yards, one touchdown, one reception. And they also added 10 rushes for 40 yards too. So BFD, now that we're a month through the season, has he exceeded your expectations for this year? Or is this about what you were expecting whenever the season started? I think this is a really difficult question to answer because I don't think he's exceeded my expectations, but I don't uh, – uh, what else do I expect, right? He's still doing very well. What you're not seeing is you're not seeing the Deshaun Watson of 2017. You're not seeing a guy who's willing to push the ball downfield. You're seeing a guy who's being slow on his decision-making. He's no Tom Savage slow, but he's slow. He's just simply taking too long to process the plays to get the ball out of his hands. He just looks like a different guy. And part of me thinks that part of this is the offensive scheme. Whereas last year he was playing a lot of street ball. It was just straight up street ball, man. That's like, okay, you're going to run this route. I'm going to hit you. We're going to kick some butt. Where this year it's like, okay, I need to watch to make sure that if this slant is covered here, that I, you know, there's more processing that has to happen. That's not Deshaun Watson's game. I'm not saying he can't do that. I'm saying he's had like, what, 11 career starts as an NFL quarterback or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I want him to play more street ball. I want him to be more aggressive down the field. So has he exceeded my expectations? No. Is he doing great? Fine. Yes. So it's kind of like a a hard thing to figure out, Matt. Yeah. And I think part of that, like, I think that's going to come with time with as far as his ability to get the ball quickly and read the field. Because we played in Clemson, it was mainly like half-field reads where they're running a play action. He's looking at either you know, the linebacker here, the safety here, and then throwing off of that. And he's not having to read the whole field. And so I think he's done a, a good job so far with just seeing the entire field rather than you having to make that switch and uh, kind of like in brain, you know, the Mount Brainy action has to use. And also, both, both all of his interceptions this year, or I guess he's thrown two, three interceptions. Two of them were the result of just – or I guess he's thrown four. Uh, two of them were just downfield heaps and double coverage where the you know, defensive back made a great player against the Sean, against DeAndre Hopkins. Man, Chris Collins with all his announcers calling Deshaun Watkins has really screwed me up. <laughs> Truly. Um, gosh, I don't know what his name is at all anymore. And, and, then, uh, and then also he had that deep field. He had that heave to Lamar Miller in the red zone. That was kind of like a prayer. And then his one bad throw was a throw behind the receiver of the thing against Indianapolis. But, He's done a good job as far as not turning the ball over, which I, I thought he was going to be worse. I thought his interception rate was going to be a lot higher. And the touchdowns, you know, he wasn't going to throw nine half. He wasn't going to have a touchdown rate of 9.5% all anymore. And so I, that really hasn't been surprising me at all whatsoever. So I think, like, I think he's better than I expected him to be just as far as how much of the total offense he has he's accounted for and, like, how dynamic he still is and the plays he's been able to make even with, with a bad offensive line in front of him. And uh, I just thought, like, this team would kind of be a little bit more run-oriented, more kind of play-action rollouty than the, you know, so much so heavily involved with the shotgun formation. And in a lot of ways, I'm glad that, you know, the offense has reverted to going back to, like, when it was super cool. I'm glad the offense is super cool again. And I think Watson's play, you know, better than I expected he was going to. And I, I've been surprised. Like, I think 100%, you know, side question that he's, you know, very talented and he's a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I call him, you know, going in a shotgun at the one-foot line. Yeah, the play's like that. <laughs> Absolutely confounding. Yeah, I was watching the game with my friend, and then whenever they ran that play, he's like, how often does Houston do stupid things like that? I'm like, oh, all the time. Like, all the time. <laughs> that, that's, that's their jam. You know, they love to do just dumb things like that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. That's so bad. And, and the problem with that play, too, whenever they go from the shotgun to behind the center to run the quarterback sneak, you know, it's not that bad of an idea, but, like, you have to be fast, you know? He comes under center, he, he snaps it, he's sneaking. But instead, he comes under center, waits for the defense to adjust, to and adjust. The seven seconds later, yeah, and he gets smashed at the line, there's nothing there, and that was just uh, really stupid. I mean, when, when that happened, were you not just thinking this is going to be a sneak all the way? Uh, as soon as he came up to the center position, I was like, yeah, for sure. 
And then whenever he didn't quick snap the ball, I was I was just flabbergasted. Yeah, at I that point am, I was like, "This is such a sneak." Yeah, yeah, I still am though. So, what do you think? What's the biggest thing Watson can improve on, you know, for the rest of this year? And I guess from what you've seen so far this season, what I would like for for to happen is for him simply to become more aggressive down the field. Um, he, you know, one of the things I've harped on on the show for the 10 or whatever years I've done this is one of the most important things, traits that a quarterback needs is the ability and the desire to push the ball downfield. And that's different. We have not seen that same kind of desire that urge that yen from Deshaun Watson to push the ball down the field as we saw in 2017. And I think that needs to go, that needs to happen again. He needs to say, Hey, DeAndre Hopkins does not have to be wide open. I'm going to just push the dadgum ball to him no matter what. Will Fuller here, here goes, go get it. And I want to see more of that aggressiveness from him. Yes, it's going to mean more interceptions, but what it's also going to mean is more touchdowns. It's also going to mean an, an off or a defense that can't concentrate in the box to stop the run. You open up everything when you do that sort of thing. Deshaun Watson has that. And the number one thing I want to see him do are the back shoulder passes because he is gifted at that throw. And I want to yeah. see more of that, Matt. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things about watching that Clemson was those back shoulder fades. It's like, oh, this is just him and DeAndre Hopkins all the time. And that really hasn't been there a whole lot. They've kind of gone away from that route uh, since he's been drafted. And, you know, I, I thought I was – you know, I didn't really think at all about the deep ball stuff into the Dallas game. And I was sitting there watching, and I was waiting for it to happen. Like, where's the play action? Where's going to be the deep downfield throw? And it just never really occurred at all in that one. I think he threw – he had one, like, really long deep field attempt that uh, wasn't complete. But the rest of the game, everything was just super intermediate. And uh, that was kind of surprising. And so, yeah, I agree. Like, I hope he, I hope he pushes the ball downfield more. And then I also hope, like, O'Brien starts doing a better job of just getting guys open quicker. Uh, I want to see more Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, route combinations. I want to see less Ryan Griffin, more Jordan Thomas, more Jordan Aikens. And he's playing them more, but I want to see even more of them. And then also just, like, how cutie can be used in so many different ways, I think is uh, super beneficial, too. So, as far as Watts himself, like, I'm, like, you know, really, uh, you know, happy with what I've seen from him. And, I don't really have a whole lot to add as far as how he can improve. I'm just expecting he'll get better as your time goes on. Yeah, and, and this next time that, that uh, Bill O'Brien calls a screen pass, somebody should walk out there with one of, those, one of those white storage boxes and it should just have a random plant in it and a couple of random picture frames kind of sticking out and then she should go and hand it to Bill O'Brien and just escort him right out of the building after that. <laughs> what would that be for, the plants and the – Oh, because it just looks like, you know, somebody got, you know, fired from an office building. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. If yeah, I have yeah, to explain my jokes, they don't work, Matt. Well, I'm also very dumb, you know, so I need some help. <laughs> I need my hand held a little bit. I see. Uh, so the, the other thing that was really surprising in this game was Houston's pass protection was, like, pretty good. I, I read from Pro Football Focus that they only gave a pressure every, you know, 20% of their snaps. And Pueblo Outsiders had them giving up a pressure uh, every 40% of their drop back. So that's about half. And the big move they made was they benched Martinez Rankin and they put Julian Davenport back where he should have played all along the left tackle. Uh, it's not, not that hard, you know, guys. And he looked, you know, he was pretty good. There was not a whole lot of rush on the left-hand side. No holding penalties, no false starts. Like, he looked natural. He looked like how you're expecting him, he, how he's going to look. Uh, during the season as well too they only gave up one sack as well and so the Cowboys pass rush was just kind of like you know pretty whatever in this game and so that leads me to a question from that leads me to a question from DX Tex he said how do you fix the Texans O-line issues right now during the season and I think this is kind of you know what you do is you start Davenport left tackle where he should have played all along you know Lamb was he got really lucky he didn't rack up like 40 yards and holding penalties. Yeah. Uh, he was holding you know, throughout the game, and he would constantly like, turn back and look at the ref and make sure they didn't call it. I know that you mentioned it during the hair of the dog thread, just him missing second-level blocks, and he's just too slow to get to the second level, so you can't really run the outside zone and the inside zone whenever you're counting on him to block linebackers, and he can't really do that all whatsoever. And I know there's a lot of talk that everybody wants to see Rankin play guard, but I would give Rankin a shot at right tackle. I think he's better suited there for. He's stronger. Uh, he's a really good anchor. And he's not 
like the quickest guy whenever it comes to pass pro. Like he's a he's a good enough, and so he's more of a line what you want to see that right tackle. And both guard spots are filled right now, and so I think they'd be better suited if they put you know rank in right tackle and kind of roll without the rest of the year. Is I think the best way to uh, improve the pass protection. So BFD, what offensive line combination do you want to see going forward? No, I'm fully in agreement. I'm, we we have talked about this almost. I think we talked about it every week on the show. Davenport should be at left tackle. Why did that change happen? Who the heck made that decision to put the guy so clearly out of position and to put Rankin on the left side as a guy who didn't get a lot of snaps in the preseason? Who made these decisions? Because you know they were stupid. So I'm really happy to see that that Davenport's back on the left. Let's put uh, Rankin back on the right. Get Lamb the heck out of there. Yes, he had a decent game against the Colts. Let's say our blessings and be done with it and go back to who should be out there on the field. Yeah. You know, I blame Pro Bowl left guard Wade Smith for doing <laughs> Davenport playing right tackle. I think it was his idea. He kept saying it in Twitter and in different articles, in different interviews he had. I kept telling Wade Smith, said, you should play left. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't think you're watching this guy play. And you know, here we are. So I'm glad that uh, that you know, I'm glad that the way things should be have kind of sort of won out. And so I'm excited to watch Davenport play left tackle for hopefully the rest of the year. Uh, did you see anything at all from specifically in this game, or is it just something that you're paying attention to other things from the broadcast? It was a little bit harder, uh, especially while I was trying to troll the Cowboys fans. I was trying to come up with material <laughs> during the game too. There's more important but, things out there. Yeah, but the one thing about Davenport that I like so much about him is he does have really nice feet. Not always. Not always. But his feet, when he's light, the guy who he reminded me of was uh, Laramie Tunsil. Hmm. But the way that he can kind of get his feet moving and he can, be, he can be high and low at the same time with his feet. I love watching Tunsil go into pass blocking, and it reminded me of that. So just that's where he, he belongs, I think. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, yeah, and, like, he's also got – his thing was he was really struggling with bull rushes and his punches weren't ending, you know, pass rushes. And he got – you know, preseason, like, I was really surprised by how much stronger he looked. I was expecting him to be stronger, but he looked like a, a – like, you know, in high school, you have somebody goes from, like, ninth grade, 10th grade, all of a sudden they have a beard. Like, he made that sort of, like, leap in strength it looked like. And uh, it was kind of all for not whenever they benched him. So, but, yeah, like, he's, he looks a lot stronger. He's not getting beat by bull rushes. and kind of pass protections are ending whenever he makes contact. Uh, I, I know what you're saying about Tunstall. My favorite thing about him is whenever he actually punches the chest and has him because, like, the defensive end just gives up every time that occurs. So you can't get out of him whenever he grabs you like that. Yeah, he's a fun guy to watch. Once he gets the fun, If he ever gets the fundamentals down, he's going to be absolutely elite. I just wonder if he's going to get that. But his feet, his quickness, Tunstall's, I, I, I love the guy. I love to watch him play tackle. Yeah. Yeah, he made some really great blocks in that Bengals game last week. Uh, so do you have anything else that you want to talk about regarding the offense? No, I think the, the dead horse is dead. Yeah, well, good. Uh, every time we, you know, we talk about the offense, I just imagine – and like, we talk about the offense like 40 minutes like this. I just imagine the horse from the Blood Meridian, that they come up with like this compound and everything's like rotten. There's vultures everywhere. They got, you know, chasing this little village by Indians that raided them. And there's this horse that's just like seeping from the face and his face looks like he's about to pop because he got bit by a rattlesnake of it and he's just leaking everywhere. And that's pretty much where we are on the show when it comes to the offense, I think. I think so, because it's such a weekend. um, Yeah, sorry, Matt. It's just such a high level frustration that we've got with the offense. We just, Big Matt and I have much higher expectations. And I think Everybody who watches this Texas team should have much higher expectations about the offensive performance. Mm-hmm. We, there, there's too much talent. Even the offensive line, I'm going to go back to that, even the offensive line. And I think that if we, we get the Jordans more snaps than the pitiful Ryan Griffin, we're going to be even better. So there's too much talent. And it's so frustrating week in, week out, that we drop another 20 spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, too. Um, so the, you know, I guess kind of going back to what you're saying, like, you know, expectations, my expectations were, I said nine wins mainly because I thought the season depended on the pass rush being healthy. And so I didn't know if it was going to be healthy or not. And so I kind of went the middle. I thought if it was healthy, they'd win 10. If it wasn't, they'd win like, you know, six or seven. And the pass rush went from being, you know, healthy and like strangely bad to like really good. And one of the reasons, the biggest reason why is that, 
Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt are just playing spectacularly together. Uh, Clowney had a half sack and two tackles. Watt had one sack and two tackles. But they constantly brought pressure in this game. And like Dak Prescott made some like superhuman, you know, like a cyborg uh, ta- broken tackles in the pocket. That throw he had Tavon Austin was just out of this world uh, in the fourth quarter. And so I think the pat like the numbers aren't going to be there for the pass rush stats for Clowney and Watt. But I think the production was there in this game. And so uh, BFD, what do you think is scarier, the Watt swim move or the Clowney? Standing up at the like right around the ball, blitzing as a linebacker. I think it's still the the Watt swim move. I think it's just it's so they're both both so sudden movements. But for me, you know, if Watt is inside already, if he's sitting over the center, if he's sitting over a guard, and he does a swim move, he's I think he's just there that much faster. Clowney's still coming in from the outside, even on the inside step. It's when they push Watt out, I get a little bit more frustrated. I want to see him in, but the swim move because it's you. I don't think you can stop it. I just don't. Yeah. You just have to kind of guess right on it. Or whenever he raises his arm, you have to hit him in the chest. And, but he's just so quick with it. Uh, yeah, like, talking about, like, how they used him specifically, I'm, one, I'm, like, just super happy they're finally using Jadavion Clowney predominantly as a defensive end. I know in the depth chart he shows up as outside linebacker. He lines up there, you know, in the base occasionally. But he's mainly playing defensive end. I think he's improved a lot because of that. I'm also loving, you know, like the loops. They finally used the loop with uh, where you have McKinney and Clowney both looping on the inside. They finally did it, and they sacked Prescott immediately doing that, and that was, you know, great to see. And I like all the interior blisters they're doing with him. The one thing that I wanted to see from Watt in this game was uh, I wanted to see him go up against Connor Williams more and being used on the interior because yeah. I think Williams is their worst offensive lineman, and Watt could have just, like, decimated him. And so they kept him – you know, mainly on the right side, and they had uh, Clowney, you know, rushing Tyron Smith, and you know, he did a spectacular job against him. But I would prefer to see Watt, like you were saying, on the interior more against, you know, James Looney and Connor Williams specifically. Instead, he played a lot against Doug Martin. Yeah, which, you know, we did move him around some. And I, but we can talk about that about Clowney a little bit too, is that we've been vetching about that all season too, is why are we dropping Clowney in the coverage, with, you know, merciless drops in the coverage. They did a much better job of who they allowed to go back and coverage this game. I think that was a big reason that the defense looked so good against that. Really, it's a very, very good offensive line, even with a couple of kind of replacement-level guys right now, is that it was Clowney on the line. It was Watt. It was Merciless. It was the guys who we, we actually want to be rushing the quarterback. We're rushing the quarterback a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, like, you know, Clowney, I've been watching – I've watched a lot of Cowboys games this year. And I found Tyron Smith to be, like, super creaky. Like, it looks like he has an exoskeleton on his back. He doesn't really look the same. Are you concerned about him at all? I, I think you're right. I, I don't think he looks quite right. But I can't say why. Yeah, he just looks like he, he like, moves – like, he moves quickly, but he doesn't move fluidly at all. It's like – I don't know. It's like he has, he's, like, running to, you know, back to the outhouse, you know. Like he's just super like tight and clenched <laughs> up, and but he's moving quick at the same time, and it's super weird to see because he's like one of the most spectacular athletes you know I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, and you know Prescott in this game, he threw for more than two hundred yards, and Dallas still lost. This is only the fifth time in Prescott's entire career where he's thrown for more than two hundred yards, and the Cowboys still lost. Uh, specifically in this game, he threw for two hundred eight, and you know. He also – I'm going to go back about those missed sacks that Houston had. Do you think that was kind of a continuation of the new uh, quarterback protection rules where Clowney was taking on like a half of them? Or do you think Clowney just wasn't wrapping up well? Uh, Watt missed a sack as well too where it looked like he kind of took on half of them. Do you think this, this sort of fear of drawing a flag is leading these quarterbacks uh, getting more opportunities to skip the pocket too? Uh, I, I'm not sure, and I think that's a great and valid question because if you look at the one uh, sack that Watt did have where he could have put his body on top of uh, Prescott, he didn't. So he used his body correctly for that sack. Um, I guess the other way you have to look at it is Dak Prescott's a really big freaking dude, mm-hmm. and so he's not somebody who's going to go down easy. There was a couple of plays. Uh, I was infatuated with the Browns-Ravens game this weekend. And there's a couple of plays where uh, Joe Flacco was hit and didn't go down. It's just like sometimes the quarterback is just that dadgum big and strong and you can't bring him down. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know the answer to it. I, I kind of don't think so because of, of 
the size of the guy, but you're talking about Clowney and Watt whiffing, that's kind of weird. Yeah, and they whiffed like three or four times total in this game too. Um, and even the Watt sack, like he was going to miss that tackle. I think it was Brandon Dunn or Blackson were there to kind of finish Prescott off, and they gave Watt the whole sack. But if the other guy wasn't there, Prescott would have escaped on that one too. Yeah. So uh, next week, Houston's going to be playing Josh Allen, Blake Burleson, back-to-back weeks. Uh, they only gave up 208 passing yards to Prescott last weekend. Do you think the pass defense is going to be able to keep this sort of uh, production up after being kind of a weak part? the secondary specifically now with wide client rush and pass like they've been do you think they're gonna be able to limit to you know limit josh allen to like 72 yards and bordel to bordels to 215 yards in the next two weeks <laughs> i've been waiting for this i have been rereading my josh allen notes like like an hour and a half today so i, I think i've talked about that i did you know scattering reports on everybody and i think josh allen is a terrible nfl quarterback and he's done absolutely nothing to, to change my opinion of them. The game that they won against the Vikings, I guess they've won two now, oh, brother, uh, is that um, they, he's been much more successful as a running quarterback rather than as a passing quarterback. But the fact is Josh Allen couldn't hit. Josh Allen could fall out of, of a boat and miss water. So <laughs> um, I think I'm good now, Matt. Anyway, uh, yeah. So here, here's my uh, here's my my context of it. The only throw, so these are my notes. The only throw he can consistently complete are digs, comebacks, and hitches. And generally speaking, only between the hatches. He has so much confidence in his arm that he likes to throw into tight windows where he's rarely successful. Most of his throws are too damn fast. You don't need to kill the running back out of the backfield from five yards away. You just don't. The worst, though, whenever he tries to put touch on a ball, it's a pick waiting to happen. His touch passes are so bad that I don't think it'll ever be something usable in his arsenal. Um, my kind of uh, – okay, so he threw a couple of nice completions I saw on the run, but both were wide receivers who were LOL open and the throws were ducks. His pocket presence is seriously lacking. There is no way I touch this guy before the fifth round as he's a major project. And so I've been just dying – like the one reason I've really been stalking the ball, football outsider site today is I've been dying to see where he kind of adds up as, as quarterback. He has a negative 449 <laughs> DYR, which to put that in his perspective is like Sam Bradford plus Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. He is a really terrible NFL quarterback. He, he does not, he should not be on the field. He should not be on even close to the field. He should be a practice squad kind of guy. And the Buffalo Bills are going to trot him out there. And the only thing he brings to the quarterback position is he's really, really big. And he has a really, really big arm. But he has no idea where that ball is going to throw. So when I look at him, I, I truly believe that he's the love child of nuclear illusion, Ryan Mallett. And I think that's his, also his ceiling is I just don't see him being anything more than a Ryan Mallett kind of guy who's going to throw a ground ball with eyes and he's going to complete 40% of his passes because he just is not going to be better than that. So I'm going to really enjoy this game from the schadenfreude aspect of loan that the Buffalo <laughs> Bills think that Josh Allen is an NFL quality quarterback. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's get into the, that's awesome. I'll, I have a few things to say about Josh Allen. We'll get into our Bills preview. Uh, we're going to take a break for just one second first. One. And we're back. So I know that you, you're talking about your kind of Schneider Freud. I hope I said that right, Josh Allen. And, you know, I love watching Josh Allen play. Like, I hope Josh Allen has success just because everybody was so mean whenever he got drafted on the internet. <laughs> and, like, he's just, like, unbelievable because he should not be playing. And, like, he shouldn't be back there. He can't complete any passes out of the shotgun. The only thing that he can do is run play action bootlegs, roll out, and then run for touchdowns. Like everything else, like he can't complete anything on the run. He can't throw anything well. Uh, it's like unbelievable how bad a passer he is. But he's also like super gifted at the same time with his size, his speed, his arm strength. And so now I can understand like why all the you know, professional football men, why those scouts you know, broke their jeans in half uh, you know, with crust ever, watching him play at Wyoming because of just like, those physical traits that he has, but he's not a very good quarterback. I mean, he's not even a quarterback at all right now. I wouldn't even call him that. Against Tennessee last week, he completed 10, 10 passes on 19 attempts 
for 82 yards. Uh, I've never seen <laughs> that stat line at all before. And he did have a really great rushing touchdown on a bootleg where he outran linebacker at a great pursuit angle and, you know, dove in the score. He jumped over Anthony Barr, you know, two weeks before that. Uh, so, like, the talent, like, the physical abilities there, but, you know, this may be like a, a Logan Thomas situation where you have a guy who may move to tie it in later on or so. Uh, who knows? But is there anything at all that you see at the Buffalo passing game that's effective at all? No. That's <laughs> just I don't see how you can have an effective passing game. And let's just look at his stat lines. It looks at his QB rating over his first five games. 56, 63, 111 against Minnesota, 36.3 and 42. Hmm. So you throw out the Minnesota game. <laughs> Because that's a, that's a serious outlier. You look at the rest of the stats, you throw that out, and he's like a 50, you know, 50 QB rating kind of guy. Which and is they won just, that game, too. Yeah. Which is unbelievable that they beat Tennessee. It's just – he is not – and the other thing to look at is he's taken, wow, 19 sacks in five games, too. Mm. So he takes a lot of sacks. The only thing he's doing well is he's running the ball. Look, this isn't – like the college option game, you have to have a quarterback who can be a quarterback and you can't do that when you're throwing 53% completion rate at 6.1 yards per attempt. You're not going to be successful uh, with those kinds of numbers. And frankly, I I don't think, I I think this is as good as he's going to get. There's not even a book on him yet. And he's this bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, he shouldn't be playing at all. Buffalo really screwed up by leaving him out there. Uh, They should have, I mean, hell, even trade it for, like, Josh McCown and let him start there for a year because uh, it's obvious that he's not ready. And, like, he's fun to watch because, like, the physical traits are, you know, absurd and, uh, like, outrunning linebackers at his size. And, like, he also looks super young, too. And, like, he's so naive and uh, he's so, like, brave in a lot of ways and courageous. So I really do enjoy watching Allen play, but it's, it's you know, terrible. You know, like, it, it's fun, but it's so stupid it's fun. Yeah, it's just he's – you know, again, my comp on him is Dan McGuire. And for those who don't know who Dan McGuire is, is he's Mark McGuire's younger brother. He came out, he was drafted by the Seahawks <laughs> first or second round. I can't remember like back in 1990. And um, it, the, the thing was they used to line him up at the 20 yard line and let him drop back a couple of yards and throw the ball into the other end zone. And that was like the big thing with Dan McGuire. But the problem is Dan McGuire couldn't hit anybody within 15 yards of him. He could throw the ball 90 yards. He couldn't throw the ball with accuracy 10 yards. And that's yeah. who Josh Allen reminds me of. And, and Dan McGuire also was a freak athlete. I mean, he, he would just run over people. He was pretty fast for his size. You know how Mark McGuire is built. Well, Dan McGuire was bigger. So it's, he was kind of a crazy freak athlete, but he was a terrible quarterback. And I think that's, that is Josh Allen's ceiling. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a good way to put him. And I, I feel like he's like a, somebody who plays golf who can drive the ball you know, 514 yards, but, you know, 17 putts every time he actually gets on the green. <laughs> That's the way I play golf. <laughs> uh, so this game also, if you weren't a Texans fan, would you watch this Texans-Bills game at all? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this game, first of all, there's no reason to watch the Buffalo Bills play football at all. Like both sides of the ball, I, you know, we're going to say, you're going to say good things about their defense. I don't even like to watch their defense. Kind of like Shaq Lawson, Kyle Williams, you know, I got a lot of love for Kyle Williams, but it doesn't go much beyond that. Jerry Hughes, pretty good player. Pretty good. Um, but no. So if you're going to, if, if Bill O'Brien's the one who's going to call the offense for the Texans, you know, it's going to be more bun. It's going to be half dead. It's going to be zombie like at best. And if you're watching the Buffalo Bills, you're going to watch like the worst offense that you'll ever freaking see in your life. And they're boring to watch. So I, I wouldn't. I, this would not be the game. I would rather go watch Quay Jackson coach a team in the NFL, Matt. Yeah. Uh, so they're, you know, their defense, they're 17th in average points allowed. They're fourth in net yards and attempt allowed. And before shutting down Tennessee last week, they're in the middle of DVOA in both run and pass defense. I don't know exactly where they may have jumped to after uh, holding you know, the Titans to, I believe, 12 points uh, last week. So, and like, they have you know, pl- good players here. Uh, you mentioned Kyle Williams. I love Kyle Williams. He's not the same pass rusher at all anymore because he lacks like that speed. But he's still like quick off the ball. He has great hands. 
he's just a giant meatball. Like he, like he's just a, a perfect body for like a one technique. Uh, Jerry Hughes is a speed demon. He's, he's, at, he's been like one of those like super underrated pass rushers out there. Uh, White's one of the best cornerbacks in football. Quan Alexander is a fast tackler. Uh, Lawson's you know, been really up and down the start of his career. But there's talent here, and they're, they're pretty okay. The weird thing about Buffalo's defense is that it's a, a Sean McDermott you know, defense, and he's a disciple of Ron Rivera. And they're all just like 4-2-5, rush four. Your linebackers cover a lot of the field. The secondary is as important as a result. And they've become like a, a super aggressive, like blitz-happy team. Uh, they're not sit back and play and only rush for it at all at the time. Uh, they're really going after quarterbacks, and they're not, they're not sitting back really at all. So do you, think, do you see any specific ways to attack Buffalo's defense? Yeah, I think you can out-big them. Uh, I think if you can beat them at the point of attack, I mean, uh, Tredavious White's only like 5'10", I think, in high heels. I mean, he's a pretty short dude. And so I think you can go after them and out-big them in a lot of ways. They rely a lot on speed, Williams, Alexander. I'm sorry, Hughes, Alexander. Uh, Williams is the meatball in the middle. He's just a heck of a good football player. Uh, I think you just out-big them. Uh, and you can let them come at you, protect the quarterback, out-big them on the edge. I think you can win. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you expecting like more downfield passing this game? Do you think they're going to be able to attack uh, the Buffalo safeties? Because their safeties are super young and experienced. I know White's, you know, he'll probably play uh, man coverage on Watts on Josh. I hate, I'm so mad at Chris Collinsworth. I keep calling DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watts, or Deshaun Hopkins. And um, I hate Al Marchaletta too. Uh, or do you think they're going to play him one-on-one? They're going to try to go more to cutie and you know, more to Fuller. How do you think they're going to try to attack the safeties downfield? I think you just, you just go after them. Um, so Jordan Poyer is one of their safeties. He's okay-ish at best. Uh, Micah Hyatt is their strong safety, safety. He's slow. He's a guy you can definitely attack with the pass. Uh, I, I, what I would try to do is I try to match up, you know, get Cutie on one of the guys, one of those types of guys, get uh, – uh, Lamar Miller, hopefully he's going to play, match up against the uh, – Hello. Yeah, my headset just reset itself. That was awesome. That's all good. Yeah. So I think that's how you can beat – I mean, this is an imminently beatable defensive team. Trent Murphy is one of the defensive ends, for crikey's sake. You know – this team can be beat defensively. They're just doing a good job. They're surprising. But I tell you what, if Vontae Davis just kind of, you know, quit during the middle of the game, I think he's telling you something that, like, the defense sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Buffalo seems like one of those teams where they, you don't want to grind out with them. They can hold on, and if the game's close enough, they can maybe steal one from you. So you don't want to play those, like, grinding, bruising games against them necessarily, kind of like what Tennessee did last week. I think you just want to, like, throw the ball downfield go up big and then make Josh Allen throw the ball over and over again. Uh, Cause the bills also did get LaShawn McCoy back. They're ninth in rushing attempts. They're averaging three and a half yards a carry, but rather than Chris Ivory, who looks so much better now than he did in Jacksonville. Uh, but rather than Chris Ivory carrying the rushing attack, LaShawn McCoy's back. He's breaking tackles and Euro stepping as well too. At uh, last we get 85 carries on or 85 yards and 24 carries. And not even Bill O'Brien would give running back 85 carries in the game. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he broke a ton of tackles. Like he looks like LaShawn McCoy. So Houston did a great job against Dallas. They only gave up uh, 98 rushing, 98 yards and 29 rushes. LA only had 54 yards from 20 attempts. So do you think Houston's going to be able to sustain that same level of uh, defensive run-stopping ability against Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, if there's one team I don't want to run against, it's the Houston Texans. I just don't. I mean, between Reader, Clowney, Watt, and Bernardrick McKinney – they're tough against the run. They're just really freaking tough. And right now, by DVO, they're second. So it's not a team you can, you're going to really have a lot of success running against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, too. And that was one of the things that was really great about last week. Like, they finally played a really good run offense, one of the, top, one of the five best run offenses in football. And probably the best run offense just from, like, a need and, uh, and volume amount. You know, there's better offenses by DVO and efficiency measures, but – when it comes to amount of times that 
Elliott's carry the ball and how important it is for offense, the fact that you know what they're going to do, uh, the amount of heavy sets that they use. For them, like, for Elliott's average 5.7 yards a carry is absurd. And, you know, Houston completely shut them down with their run defense. So I'm not expecting a whole lot out of Buffalo. I think, McCoy, I think if they run power and they get McCoy outside, you get him against Tyron Matthew, you know, he can break tackles and get outside, send the run out balance, you know. He'll probably have a, a couple, like, 12-yard gains that are super awesome. I'm not expecting a whole lot from Buffalo's run offense and really not a whole lot from Buffalo in general in this game. Nah. <laughs> I, just, I have absolutely no respect for the Buffalo Bills in 2018. Like, zero. Yeah, yeah and also, I'm kind of, like, upset. I'm going to sit at sim three. I'm going to spend three hours watching this game. Oops, just sorry. Like 40, instead of, like, 40 minutes on condensed. Like, I'll sit there. I'll watch all three and a half hours and be a good boy and, you know, eat my Brussels sprouts and, and not like it. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll try to make myself hungover on purpose to be able to enjoy this game a little bit better because I think it's going to be a, a slog, you know. Brussels sprouts are awesome. What the hell are you saying, dude? I, I like them now. But I'm, I guess it's a, a metaphor for being, you know, being forced to do something you don't want to do. Uh, okay. Eat your greens, you know. Uh, so who do you have winning this game? Oh, hold on. Got a mosquito. Ah, there it goes. Okay. That's the clicking sound is me killing mosquitoes. Good. I hate them. Uh, they're so bad right now. Uh. I, I would really like to say I would the, the my heart of hearts would like to say this is a this is the game that the Houston Texans just kind of blow up on. The Bills are a really crappy team. I cannot underscore this enough that the Buffalo Bills probably deserve to be playing two A football, and we're going to play them with with Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins and heck even Ryan Griffin at tight end. And I don't see us scoring more than 23 points. And it's just so freaking depressing. And once again, that's three field goals versus two touchdowns. So I'm going to go with we're going to win 23-3 over the Buffalo Bills, Big Matt. Gotcha. Yeah, I have something similar. I have Houston winning 20-6. to six. Uh, I, I think that you know, Buffalo's not going to run the ball at all. If Elliott can't, you know, can't average more than you know, three and a half yards per carry, uh, LaShawn McCoy in a worse offensive line is not going to be able to. Josh Allen is, you know, really stupid and really fun to watch. But and Houston secondaries, you know, you can play off coverage and you can throw against them if you pass block you know, even a little bit. But he has no accuracy. He can't throw. He can't complete any passes all whatsoever. Uh, so I think it's a, a great situation for Houston. And I would have them score more points. But I think Houston's really kind of reeled back their playbook. I don't think they're going to use Watson as a runner a whole lot. I think they'll just. Uh, you try to keep him in the pocket as much as possible. I try to, like, you know, nurse him through this game. You know, take the tit out, nurse him through the game, and, uh, and kind of survive and move on to Jackson the week after and play to go above 500 for the first time. And uh, I'm really mad at Tim also for predicting Houston was going to go, you know, 3-3 three and three and come back to 500. Uh, I was fully expecting for, you know, Brian to get fired after five weeks and to move on with our lives. And then Tim had to put that, you know, devil magic on the season and I'm, I'm super upset at, I, i'm mad at him i'm super mad at him could you imagine matt could you imagine a worse matchup than brandon brandon whedon versus josh allen if, if watson can't go on sunday <laughs> he better play like he better play i may not even watch the dad come game i probably just watch the saints and the browns <laughs> Yeah. Well, at least the Saints are off this week, so I guess I can't watch them. Yeah, well, you can watch – well, and I think the Chargers and Browns play at 3 o'clock too. That's going to be a heck of – I'm going to watch that game. That's going to be a you heck of a You can watch uh, Steelers-Bengals at 12 o'clock instead. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That'd be yeah, – that's, that's It's Andy Dalton. Why do I want to watch him? Because he's been, like, a top seven quarterback so far this year. Uh, rubbish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm have to watch. I'll be posting threads probably and talking to myself. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be watching it. I'm gonna hate it, and I'll probably stay up till four o'clock in the morning Saturday night so I can you know really savor this this terrible game that we're gonna have. <laughs> like if you if you if you don't drink, this would be a good weekend to to drink and learn the poisons of having a hangover. If you do drink, go get as hungover as possible so you can really you know savor this Texans Bills game. Dang. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's all, all we got for this week. Uh, thank you for the questions, everybody, on Twitter. 
uh, this is going to be recorded, so hopefully we can normalize the audio and everything uh, sounds better than it does live as well, too. Uh, we'll do – I'll have a, an NFL preview show for Friday morning as well, so you can kind of think about games that aren't Houston-related to enjoy your weekend. Because if you want to watch football, this isn't the game to watch if you're uh, looking to watch good football. So, anyways, thanks for being on tonight, BFD. Uh, my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.